if you turn in your Bibles, if you've got one to uh, Colossians, ooh, that's going well, um, Colossians chapter 1, uh, this week we're, um, I don't know if it's the final part in the series or close to it, we've been doing a series on the gospel, um, and I should have been doing one a few weeks ago, but I had to swap, uh, so I have the gospel bears fruit, which is today. Paul writes to the Colossians, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to all the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing, as it does amongst you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learnt it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. He has made known your love in the Spirit to us. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into his kingdom, the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption for forgiveness of sins. Okay, well, when we're talking about that the gospel bears fruit, we should probably start with some questions First, what is the gospel? Well, according to this passage, uh, if you look down at verses 13 and 14, uh, it is that God has delivered, delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have for redemption, for forgiveness of sins. God says he's delivered us from the domain of darkness. That is that we didn't know God. And he says that... Um, as we sang earlier, God is light and uh, God is truth. And we lived outside of that because we didn't know God and we didn't know who God was. And so we lived in darkness. But God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That is not that we delivered ourselves, that we saved ourselves, but God saved us. And he did that through Jesus by redeeming us. That is to buy us back and forgiving us for all our sins. And more than that, he's transferred us, it says, uh, that's moved us into his kingdom. So we're no longer in a kingdom of darkness and of sin, but we're in a kingdom, the kingdom of God. That is, we're under God's command, under God's rule and God's blessing. And that's a kingdom of light where we get to enjoy God's goodness and get to enjoy God's rule. Um, the next question is, uh, what is the fruit of this gospel? 
Um, if the gospel bears fruit, then uh, we had to ask what that is. And that is uh, quite simply that the gospel grows, that people uh, are saved, that uh, God's gospel is spreading, it's not static. Uh, it's bearing fruit. It's God's gospel, God's power behind it. In Romans it says, gospel is the power of God. So it's not our work, it's God's work. And that's so that we can't boast and we can't say we achieved this. It's something that God's achieved. But it's not just that God does the work. Um, I've recently started driving and I don't know if this illustration will help, but... um, (laughs) The amazing thing about driving is that uh, the power of the car, uh, I don't know if you enjoy that, but uh, (laughs) um, when you come onto the uh, dual carriageway and you put your foot down, you suddenly go a lot faster than you um, would ever have dreamed possible. I love cycling, but um, did you know? I went on Wikipedia. um, And... um, the average person can, in a short burst, produce up to one horsepower. Uh, if they're very fit, maybe two. A horse can produce up to 12 horsepower. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's called procrastination. It's when you have a task to do, you find other things to fill your time. Um, a car has something like 70 so when you um, put your foot down, um, you suddenly find yourself going a lot quicker. And you might think to yourself, um, well, I can't boast that I'm going that fast. I don't, um, it's not like when I said I went 47 miles an hour on my bicycle. It's true. Um, that, that's my achievement. Going 70 in a car isn't, um, because the car does the work. But that's not... Um, what Paul's saying, because um, you steer the car, you choose where it goes, it can't work without you. Um, that's no help at all. God's power <laughs> is not that. God's power is not the ability to make us achieve what we want to. Actually, it's God's mission, it's God's journey. We're just um, carried along in what he does. Um, Because otherwise we could say, well, look what we've achieved. Look at the church we've built. Actually, we're just servants following God's command. And that leaves us with a question then. If we can't make the gospel move by ourselves, uh, can we trust God to? Is gospel growth, uh, if it's not down to me and it's not happening, is that because God's not strong enough or because God doesn't care? Um, I grew up hearing about the day of small things that the gospel used to grow and now it doesn't. Uh, The gospel used to bear fruit, but now it's not a fruitful gospel. Um, Is our land so evil that God's there at the door trying to push it, but he's not got the key when we talk about God's power we need to see that actually uh, God is in complete control Um, and God's 
there's nothing that can stop him. He's not a frustrated God trying to work, trying to make his gospel bear fruit and struggling. Actually, he's victorious, triumphant. And from this, it might be helpful to um, have a think about who the God we believe in is. Uh, we believe in a God of creation, and if Andrew puts up the picture, now this would be very spectacular if we could see it. Um, <laughs> this is actually quite a new picture, um, developed by NASA um, from their Hubble telescope. Uh, it's quite a famous picture. Um, I think if you put up the next slide. Uh, it's called the Hubble Deep Field Image. It's the furthest photo into space we have ever taken. And there are well over 3,000 objects in this photo. And they're not just stars, they're galaxies. If you were to look at this photo as a section of the sky, it would be about the size of a grain of rice. So it's, if you imagine looking at a grain of rice at arm's length, that's what this photo would fill of the sky. And in it, there are about 3,000 objects, most of them galaxies. So if you times that above the whole sky, imagine what you've got. Next slide. We'll just have a look at it. And the next one. That's roughly the number of stars that uh, astronomers believe are in the universe. It's 300 sextillion stars. I had, didn't even know that was a number, but apparently it is. Now... It doesn't really mean much to you, but if you put the next number up... Oh, okay, a next number. Um, now, any guesses what this number might be that I will pick? It's a length of time in seconds. It's the number of seconds since the year 0 AD, um, so 2,000 years in seconds, 2,012 years in seconds. Um, it might not be quite accurate. I did for math myself. Uh, <laughs> but it goes something like there are um, 24 hours in a day. Each hour is 60 minutes times by 60 seconds times by 365.245 to counter for leap years times 2012 and then I added um, uh, 10 twelfths of a year on top for, for months. Um, that number's tiny compared to the number of stars. And you might think I'm overstressing the point to the size of the universe. But the Bible says God named each one of those stars. And it's a number you can't even comprehend. So if you put the next slide up, when we can't see the gospel, um, you're not there, um, but imagine you were. Um, when we can't see that the gospel is um, moving forwards, it's um, not such a trouble for the God who made that universe. Next slide. So uh, why does the gospel bear fruit? It's because it's driven by the power of this amazing God. 
And the amazing thing is that he's the God who cares for us. And he cares for us, he says, more than all creation. And so he came up with this gospel plan. And he always promised the gospel would bear fruit. The gospel came about first uh, because people sinned. Um, God made his uh, Adam and Eve, and he made them perfect without sin. But they rebelled against him. And in Genesis 3, right after that, God said to them he would um, sort it out. He said uh, to Eve that she would bear a son, a descendant of hers, who would sort out the problem of sin. He then promises later on to a man called Abraham that his gospel would come through Abraham's descendants and that they would be as numerous as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, that his gospel would bear fruit. And then to his disciples, Jesus said that wherever they went, he would go with them and the gospel would bear fruit. And so we know the gospel will bear fruit because we know the God whose gospel it is. And he has said it will. And if we still doubt, we can read in the Bible uh, and see the fruit that the gospel has borne. That Jesus came, he chose 12 apostles. Um, but by the time of his death and resurrection, there were 500 who saw him raised. And 40 days later, um, when Peter preached at Pentecost, uh, 3,000 believed, and later 5,000, as God's gospel went forwards. And we have seen the gospel bear fruit. You only had to look around you to see the fruit of the gospel. But God is working, and God is bringing people to him. But most of all, our faith is in Jesus, who was raised from the dead. The Bible says that because Jesus died and was raised from the dead, that is the first fruit of the gospel. It's for proof that the rest will come. Because Jesus was raised, and we know he is alive, then we know the gospel will bear fruit. So the next question is, when? He's good. Uh, when will the gospel bear fruit? Well, the answer is now. Jesus said, the fields are white for harvest. Uh, there was a time when the gospel, God's plan for salvation, God's plan to bring sinful people back to him, was kept to one country, to one nation, and then not even all of them were saved. But God speaks to his people in the prophets uh, in Isaiah and Hosea. And he talks of a time when he says, In that day I'll pour out my spirit on all people as they see my gospel grow. And in Isaiah he says, I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not with not have. Sorry, I'll start again. I'll say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, 
whom I have formed, who I have made, brings them home. And so God says, he will come. And that day, Jesus said, has come. And so that day is now. So this is the day of the Lord, and we should be expectant and ready to see his great work and ready to see people saved. Now, that doesn't mean it will all be easy, and it doesn't mean it will be, uh, not be hard work. And it doesn't even mean that every door will be open, because Paul said he found uh, that God had stopped him going to, I think, Macedonia, but sent him somewhere else, so it might be the other way around. Um, because it's God's gospel, and the gospel goes where God says it will. But we should be expectant because God is good and God wants to see everyone saved. That's what he says. And it doesn't mean that God isn't working. It means he is working. So we should expect to see people saved and we should not give up talking to people, preaching the gospel and uh, us praying that people be saved because that's what God says would happen. It also means that here and now we can expect to see uh, God at work. Uh, We've had uh, words of prophecy even from uh, prayer meetings with Rupert and Fleur and uh, that this is... uh, our year of jubilee and but this is for our church the year when god will break through and we'll see people saved and that means we should be extra expectant that the gospel will grow and so now if we finally start actually looking at the passage um we probably should ask how we expect to see the gospel grow that's good um, and probably again. Um, now, if you turn to the passage, these are some um, verses from it. The thing is, we could uh, quite easily um, get the view, either one of two views. One would be that it's our gospel and we have to do all the work, or that it's God's gospel and we just sit and wait for people to turn up and be saved. Well, actually, um, the way Paul writes this letter, we can see that neither are true. Um, Because he says to them, um, the gospel came to you through the Spirit. Um, But he also says to them, the gospel was preached to you through the man Epaphras. So the gospel came to them through God, by God's power. But it was preached to them by a man, who God sent, because God doesn't um, reveal himself uh, just in odd ways. Actually, he chose to reveal himself to people uh, through other people. He chose to use us, his uh, followers, to tell people the good news of his grace. And so we see actually also that this happens as uh, the church grows, that 
they are um, filled with knowledge by God through his spirit, but actually they also uh, are to study God to find knowledge, and Paul also prays for them that they would find this knowledge in God. And we're strengthened by God's power, but that's for a purpose, so that we can walk worthy of him. And he will present us on the day when he comes again as holy and pure. But he also says that's because we will continue in faith. So God works in us, and it's God's power, but he does it through us and through our work. How then does he do that? What gives us the power? Well, Paul tells us, um, firstly, we know that it's from God. But then he gives us um, some clues to the mindset and the um, sort of uh, thinking behind why people live this way. And Paul tells them, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we've heard of the faith you have in Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. The thing that uh, Paul thanks God for when he prays about these people he is writing to, he thanks them for their faith in Jesus and for their love for one another. And he says that's because of the hope they have in heaven and so let's look at the hope if our hope is in heaven that means we look forward to Jesus return and if our hope is in God that means we want to see him more than anything and if our hope is in the day when we see God that means we'll plan our lives around that and we'll choose our words because of it and we'll act in the light of it And so this hope of heaven is important to us as we build a church if we're going to bear fruit for two major regions. It builds the faith in Jesus that we have and it builds our love for one another. That's what Paul says. He says um, that these two things are because of the hope we have in heaven. I think there's a real danger as... um, a church, certainly in the UK, and I don't know, it's probably mostly talking from my experience, but um, I think we can lose the um, sort of excitement of looking forward to heaven. We get so distracted by other things, and we end up um, thinking about um, the world more than we look forward to heaven. Uh, Paul says in Philippians... Uh, his great statement that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he says, which shall I choose? For to die is to be with Jesus, but to live is to be with you. And that is better for you. And so knowing this, I shall not die yet. (coughs) Paul's whole life aim is to live for Jesus. And he says, to live is to live for Jesus. And to die is gain because that is to go to heaven and to be with him forever. And he says, um, 
well, why wouldn't God take me now? Because I know that's better, uh, because that's to be with Jesus. He says, well, I know that that's because God has a plan for me here. And he says, that's because it's better for you. It's better for you that I am here. And that's the attitude we should have. We should be so looking forward to seeing Jesus that we realize actually that life is not for us. We live life for others, for others' good, for Jesus, so that we can preach his gospel, so that we can encourage uh, other Christians, so that we can speak to the world and show Jesus' love to people. And so if we have a hope in heaven that is like that, that is directed to that thought of seeing Jesus, the Saviour, who um, bought us from the life we had before we knew him. If our hope is to see the God who made all creation, then that will give us a, um, a faith in Jesus, a faith that comes from seeing that he is good. God's plan for you is good. His plan is to bring you into the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of perfect joy, where he says there's no more sorrow, no more pain, where we can see him and enjoy him forever, where we will see God face to face. And that will give us faith as we realize because sometimes it looks, if your outlook on life is wrong, if you think that the gospel is about a heaven now, a heaven made on earth, if you think that's what the gospel is about, about giving you an easy life, about healing now, just about those things now, that God will make your life easy because you pray to him, then you've seen the gospel wrong because Jesus is the aim of the gospel, to know God more. Paul speaks about the knowledge of God. We're not, for, uh, we're not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about God. Because God is the thing that can satisfy our deepest desires. See, seeing God is better than anything that life could give to us. And so, um, the hope of heaven should, um, I think what I'm trying to say is that if you're living for now, if your focus is on what you'll do in this life, when that doesn't work, you'll wonder what God is doing. Why is he not looking after me? Why am I getting old? Uh, Okay, not me, but... (laughs) Um, Why is my life hard? Uh, Why don't I have as much money as that person or um, the car or whatever? I don't know. Um, If you're living for now for those things, um, why am I a lollipop man? Uh, (laughs) um, If you're living for those things... 
uh, then they will, you'll question God, why you not give him everything I want? When actually, if you see that God's great plan for you is that he'll bring you home to heaven um, to see him, uh, then you'll see that actually God's plan for you is working. God's plan for your life is right on track. And he's been good to you in every way, more than you could ever imagine, more than you could ever hope for. He's given you every good thing and a thousand times more. If your hope is in the right place, then you'll have faith in God. And that faith will give you courage. If you find that you lack courage, it may be because you're looking for... um, You've not seen God give you all the things... uh, that you think he should. Uh, but if your hope is in heaven, you'll see that God has given you so much. And if you lack joy in God, it may be because you're looking for the wrong heaven. You're not looking for the heaven where you meet God, but you're looking for the heaven where you um, have the fancy car or the whatever. Um, So it's important that we look forward to heaven. It's important that we um, look forward to the right heaven, to Jesus. And that will also affect how we love one another. Because um, the passage makes it quite clear that one of the ways that uh, the church keeps going, that the church bears fruit, is by... um, their love for each other, that they uh, keep each other going. Uh, if you look how much Paul says he prays for them, he says he strives, later on in chapter 2, uh, he says, um, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those in Laodicea and for all that have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged and knit together in love to reach all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding of the knowledge of God, of God's mystery, which is Christ. And Paul says, if we have this hope, which is for heaven, it will increase our love for each other. But we'll see actually that um, when we see uh, our fellow Christians drifting, we'll see actually, we won't see it in a human way, uh, but okay, maybe they've got something else that's as important or uh, we'll see actually that they're missing out on God's goodness. They're losing their hope for heaven. Uh, And if we see Christians overworked or um, burdened, we'll go alongside them because um, the hope of heaven that God gives us is a hope that we'll together all share in God's goodness forever and the fruit of the gospel is this that God is building a kingdom not just that we shall all be by ourselves enjoying God but that we'll be a group together enjoying God forever in fact Jesus says uh, 
that he shall join the congregation, that Jesus, together with us, shall worship God. Though he is God, and though we will be worshipping him, he shall be with us, enjoying that for all eternity. And that's the hope that we cling to. That's That's what fuels us. And so it matters that as a church we stick together and it matters that we show love to one another. And it matters that we put Jesus first in our lives. And so it matters that we live for heaven and not for now. Because that's how we become tuned to the gospel way of thinking. And that is how we see fruit. The fruit of the gospel, that's what gives us the drive to tell people about Jesus. That's what makes the gospel actually wonderful to us. The gospel won't be marvellous if it's the wrong gospel, if we're not looking forward to heaven. And it matters because it is the fruit of the gospel that people are brought out of the life of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son, Jesus where his people eagerly await his triumphant return, where we live loving one another as we take the gospel to the world, as we see it bear fruit. It's God's gospel with his power behind it, and it will bear fruit. So I think in closing for um, the point I'm trying to drive home is that it's God's gospel if we think we can make it bear fruit by ourselves we're mistaken but it's also God's gospel that he's entrusted to us that he um, works in people's lives through us Because that's how he's chosen to work. He's chosen to show his love to the world through the church. And so if we're to live a life that bears fruit for the gospel, then we're to li- we must live the way that God's intended us to, with our hope in Jesus and our hope in seeing Jesus in heaven. And we're to live loving for church, loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, making sure that no one's left behind or overworked, because that's how we keep going in a way that is pleasing to God, walking in a manner worthy of him.